this, this summer, my family, we got into a show that I think most of uh, North America got into at the beginning of 2020. We are typically, when it comes to like entertainment choices, we're like late bloomers behind the curve a little bit. And so this summer, we got into this show called Alone. And uh, I'm just curious, raise your hand if you've watched Alone. Dude in the back say, yes. He's like, that's my, my show. Raise your hand if you've watched it. Like, it doesn't matter if you like it. Just, that's it? Like, okay, man, I, I really thought maybe a few of you had watched it. Well, maybe I'm not a late bloomer. So um, the, this show alone, it's, it's really simple, the premise of it. They take 10 people and they drop them off individually in some of the most wild, rugged terrain on planet Earth by themselves or not with anybody they're there, and, and the whole kind of idea, the premise of the show is how long can you survive in the wild by yourself without anybody's help? And it, it, it's pretty ironic because we typically watch it as we're sitting on the couch, like eating pizza, and we're watching these people try to survive in the wilderness. But there's this stunning thing that happens when you watch the show, especially if you binge watch the show like we did this summer, because you start kind of picking up on, okay, who's gonna make it and who's not? Because whoever lasts the long gets the prize and they win. But we're, we're watching this show and well, there's all these spiritual themes in it that we could dig into, but one of the things that hit me this summer is you can almost tell immediately who's gonna make it and who's not because the ones who make it, they get really good at finding three things. They get really good at finding water, they get really good at finding food, and they get really good at building a shelter. The people that have water, food, and shelter, it's amazing how they go from just surviving in the wild to actually thriving in some really kind of harsh and wild context. And I was thinking about that this week because if I had to kind of sum up what we've been trying to do over the last couple of weeks, you know, as a church family coming into the fall, we recognize that we are, we're on the other side of a really wild season in human history. And I don't know that I can overstate that enough. Some of you have really felt it. Some of you are still feeling it. But the, but the reality is life in 2022 is very different than life in 2019. Some of the things that felt really easy, normal, things that came your way naturally before the pandemic, a lot of those things feel more challenging, more taxing. We're not even sure why. It's like, how come things feel different? Have any of you wrestled with that in the last year or two? Like, man, stuff just feels tough. And what we've noticed, you know, over the last couple of years as our leaders and our house church leaders and some of our prophetic prayer folks and all of these folks in our church have kept praying, what we've sensed is right now we are, we are waking up in a different moment in history. In some ways, we're kind of waking up in the wild. Things just feel a little more undomesticated, a little uh, more challenging. Relationships, faith, all of it, it just feels a little more challenging. And the question is not what do we need to survive in this reality, but how do we thrive in it? And so what we've tried to do over the last couple of weeks and what we're going to do over the next two weeks is we're just trying to look at three elements, kind of our food, water, shelter, and this isn't all that we need to, to thrive in the moment that we find ourselves in. But here, if I could just like rip open my chest and show you my heart, I really believe that a Christian who does not have these three things is really gonna struggle to walk with Jesus in the moment we find ourselves in. And so the first two weeks we talked about, we've gotta be a people who long for his presence, hunger for his presence, are filled with his presence, led, for his pres led in his presence. That's element number one, his presence. Last week and this week, we're talking about being a people who know how to do life together. That's the second element, life with his people. 
And then the next two weeks, we're talking about what does it mean for us to pick up the mantle of God's purposes in our lives? That, that you're not here just to exist through your nine to five job and save up a little money and buy a second house and enjoy vacation or get through college or get a girlfriend or whatever it is. Like God's got a great purpose for your life. And so you know, we're kind of going, hey, as we find ourselves in this wild moment, what are these kind of three non-negotiable elements that we need to thrive? We go, we wanna be a people who are all in with his presence, all in with his people and all in with his purposes. And so Last Sunday, if you were here, Aaron talked kind of on the macro level, the big picture level about how we do life together. And this morning, I just want to bring it down to the ground a little bit and go, no, really, how do we do life together? Like as, as the people of God, like I'm not just asking you, like how do we show up here occasionally, but like how do we really do life together in the ways of Jesus? And I, I love Hebrews chapter three because you see the, just the genius of God and his design and everything that he has. Look at Hebrews chapter three with me. We're gonna start in verse 12. Just three verses this morning. And there's so much wisdom in these three verses. No way we can unpack it in the next 20 minutes. I wanna encourage you to, to wrestle with this, think about it, memorize it, talk about it, really search this out in your own life over the next week or so. It starts like this in verse 12. He says, see to it. In other words, pay attention, take note, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but instead encourage each other daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold on to our original conviction firmly to the very end. I wanna read those three verses again. Look at this, this is the word of the Lord. This is not my wisdom. This is not some idea that we've come up with. This is the inspired, authoritative, ingenious ways of God. I just want you to soak into this. Listen, verse 12, he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another what? Somebody shout it out. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold on to our original conviction to the very end. For those of you that take notes, I just wanna give you kind of a simple framework to think through what he's talking about here. He's gonna start by saying, hey, as Christians, we have to wrestle with a sobering reality. That's kind of the first part of the framework. And then he's gonna give us a really simple remedy to, to kind of push back against this reality. So a sobering reality and a simple remedy. I wanna start with a sobering reality. If I had to put it on a headline, here would be the headline. As followers of Jesus, unless you guard and grow your zeal for Jesus and your love for Jesus and your passion for Jesus and your commitment to Jesus, unless you guard and grow that in the context of community, your love for Jesus will grow cold. That's the headline. If, if, if you don't guard and grow your zeal, your passion, your longing, your hunger, your commitment, your, your fierceness for Jesus, if you don't guard and grow that in the context of community, over time, your love for him will grow cold. Because the reality is it is very possible to as a 16 or 17 year old or 20 year old or 27 year old or whatever age you are, it is possible to place your faith in Jesus, to be filled by the spirit of God and over time for your love for Jesus to grow cold. And the scripture is so consistent. If you don't grow and guard that zeal, that longing, that love for Jesus in community over time, it just kind of fizzles it sort of fades. Look back at verse 12 with me. I love this. He says, see to it brothers and sisters. This is the audience. 
He's not talking to an unbelieving world here. He goes, he goes, those of you that are in Christ, filled with the spirit of Christ, longing to make a difference with Christ. He goes, hey, this is the audience, brothers and sisters. He goes, see to it. And then he begins to just kind of speak into this really sobering reality that it's possible for you to be a follower of Jesus and for your love and your zeal and your passion to fade. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I don't want you to think about your roommate. I don't want you to think about your friend. I just want you to think for a moment. Have you ever had a time in your life where the word of God, the life of God, the longing of God for you and just kind of fizzled? Where you'd sit in places like this, maybe this is your story this morning. You're sitting here and you go, I'm here because a friend brought me and you're halfway tuned out. You're like wondering how long until I'm done and I'm not up here to entertain you or to, uh, to kind of make you feel good. I'm just saying, how many of you are sitting here right now and you go, hey, if I'm honest, like my, my love for the Lord is kind of, kind of on the downward slide. How many of you have seen this in your friends? You've seen this in your roommates? I was having lunch with a good friend of mine recently. He and I were sitting in Chipotle and in his late 20s and I'm like, hey, what's, what's been stirring in you in this season? And his eyes just filled up with tears and he said, here's what's been happening in my heart is he goes, he goes, I'm hurting because so many of my friends along the way, they used to burn heart from God, they used to long for God, they used to wanna be marked by his presence and there's just this cooling off that's happening in our friend group and I don't know what to do about it. Can you relate to that? I remember years ago when I was in my early 20s, that feels like a lifetime ago now, but I went home to visit my family and my dad on Wednesday nights teaches this Bible class and I love going to that class, just listening to him teach the word and I was sitting in that class that night. I have no idea what he taught, can't remember, but I remember sitting in the class and the thing that stuck with me was I looked around the room and uh, there were not many people in the class that were in his season of life. And all these guys that used to run with him in the faith. And I'm like, dad, we're so-and-so. And on the way home, I'm like, we're so-and-so. And what happened to this guy? And what happened to this guy? And my, my dad's eyes just kind of filled up with tears. And he said, here's just the reality. He goes, along the way, he goes, just different things in life choked out their zeal for the Lord. He says, for some of them, it was going to college. For some of them, it was getting married. For some of them, it was kids. For some of them, it was the rat race of their career in their early 30s. For some of them, it was when their kids went off to college and they started traveling more. He goes, there's all these things that have just poured water on the fires of faith that have been burning in my friends. And he goes, and these are the ones that are left. And we're just sitting there going, man, how crazy, how easy it is to start well but finish poorly. And there's just this reminder here. And I know this is kind of like a downer. You're like, man, why do I hear this? I want to be encouraged. I just want you to, to wrestle, though, with the sobering reality. You see this in your friend groups. You see this in your college campuses. You see this in your own heart. You see this in your life. It is possible to start well and to finish poorly. And I love this. He says, he says watch out. Look back at verse 12. He says, he says, watch out. See to it, brothers and sisters. And he begins to define the way that this works, the way that we find ourselves slipping into this sobering reality. And he gives us kind of three layers of the heart here. And I'm just gonna move through it quickly. You'll have to explore it on your own. Because this is the way that it works. Just kind of three layers. Layer number one, he goes, you don't wanna have a sinful and unbelieving heart. Now, I know we live in like a really politically correct world where it's like, ooh, that's so harsh, that's not cool. Um, but it's important for us to just stop and go, hey, did you know it's possible to be saved in Christ but to yield yourself to a sinful, unbelieving heart? Are, are you aware of that? How easy that is to still happen? In the original language, it's really powerful because the way that this, he's describing the heart here, he's going, this is not this evil heart that like wakes up in the morning and decides, I'm gonna rebel. The heart that he's describing here is a heart that is distracted. 
a heart that's overly committed and busy, a heart that is chasing after worldly pleasures, a a heart that is interested in Jesus, but only in a secondary sort of way. So he says, hey, here's how you watch out for a life that grows cold in the Lord. He says, you have to watch out for a distracted, numb, overly occupied heart. Layer number one. You keep going in the verse though, he gets down to the next layer. He goes, that distracted heart, Look down at verse 13 with me. He says, it sets you up to be easily deceived by the enemy. Guys, I wish so badly I could just take this truth and just like stick it in the depth of your heart. Because here's the reality. I want you to just, just implant this on your brain and never forget it. The devil will always overpromise and underdeliver when it comes to the things he puts in front of you. Sin overpromises and it underdelivers every time. Hey, it can satisfy this, it can satisfy this, it can satisfy this. And I love this. He says, when your heart is distracted and numb and overly consumed with the things of the world, suddenly you become more prone to be deceived by the ways that the enemy is enticing you. I remember uh, about a year and a half ago, one of my closest childhood friends He'd been in this long season of just growing cold towards the Lord, distracted, kind of numb. We kept trying to warn him. We saw all of these things in him. And it was in the midst of his numbness, in the midst of his wrestling, that all of a sudden this this girl at his work, who he's not married to, shows up and she starts just giving him a little bit of attention. And all of a sudden, we just start hearing her name pop up in conversation, and we're going, whoa, 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 hey, this is, this is dangerous. This is not the place that you want to go. And all of a sudden, we just saw this thing that was bubbling up in him. And I remember one night, he calls me, and he's just wrestling with, in his mind, pros and cons of, what are the pros if I leave my wife and my kids and go with this woman? And I'm going, there are no pros to doing this, but what I was witnessing was my friend who, over the years, was distracted and numbed and deceived, and all of a sudden, the enemy comes with a little bit of bait. And we warned and we pleaded and we wept and he went right down that path anyways. And a few weeks ago he called me, he's about a year into the poor choices that he's in and he goes, man, I don't know how to find my way home. This is the way it works. This is the sobering reality. My friend never in a million years woke up and said, hey, this is the year I destroy my marriage and my children and my relationship. Like we never wake up thinking that. But it was just the subtle, the subtle allegiance that he made with a heart that was numb, with a heart that was cold to the Lord, with a heart that was distracted, with a heart that was unfocused that led to him being easily deceived. And then the third layer, the third layer, you look down in verse 13, he says, so that your heart is not hardened by the ways of the enemy. See, the enemy wants to kill, he wants to steal, he wants to destroy everything that God's doing. And the way that he does it is he tries to get you isolated and alone, out of community. He tries to turn your heart towards distraction and numbness so that he can deceive you. And once he has deceived you, he will try to destroy you and that destruction leads to your hardness. In our backyard, uh, we used to have this amazing backyard and then in COVID, we made the mistake of buying a dog. um, I don't know how many of you bought dogs in COVID, but we got a dog and he's awesome. We love him. Um, but he's just murdered my backyard. And no matter what we try to do, that yard is done. And so still in our vanity, Sydney and I will pay someone every fall to come aerate the yard and to power seed that yard. But there's this area right along the fence where he runs up and down the fence every day because there's a dog on the other side. And 
The ground there, it is rock hard. It is this little just dirt trail and there is nothing we can do to get seed to grow there. And what's crazy to me is this, this place that used to be fertile and soft and receptive all of a sudden can't produce anything. And this is the warning of the scriptures. The warning of the scriptures is when you get outside of community and you let yourself grow numb to the Lord, get distracted by other things, you open yourself up to deception and in that deception, over time, your heart becomes hard to God and you find yourself in places like this, sitting with your friends, hearing the scriptures, hearing worship and you go, it just doesn't do anything for me anymore. A heart that used to be soft gets tough. Now, if that was the end of the sermon, that'd be so depressing. <laughs> it'd be so depressing. It's like, all right, that's it. Let's all go eat at Ruby Tuesdays and pep ourselves up. Like, I'm joking. You guys would never eat at Ruby Tuesdays. You guys are too cool for that. Like, uh, you food snobs. I know, I, I know who we are in Nashville. JK. Um, hey, if, if it ended there, like if it ended there, here's the sobering reality over time. Your heart grows cold. Man, that'd be so depressing. Guys, that's not our destiny. And it's not God's desire for you. <laughs> and I love this out, of this, out of this simple reality, out of this sobering reality, he gives this really simple solution. And this is what I was kind of warning you about before I started preaching. The solution feels so simple, we're really tempted to just write it off and ignore it. It feels so obvious but here's what he's gonna say. Here is the simple solution. Get in community, watch each other's backs, encourage each other every single day in the Lord. He's gonna go, what is the remedy? What's the solution against that sobering reality that our hearts go cold over time? He's gonna, he's gonna say, hey, you get in community, like actual community, you stay in that community with other people. Uh, you look out for what's happening in each other's hearts. And he goes, and then you encourage each other every single day. I want you to see this. In verses 12 through 14, every single command, every single statement he makes is to the people of God, plural, not the people of God, singular. And so although this applies to you as an individual, he's not writing to a bunch of individuals sitting in a coffee shop, drinking a $6 pour over, wrestling with how they live faithfully with Jesus in the midst of a wild world. He goes, I'm writing this to you, plural. Every time you see it, it's, it's plural. He goes, this only works in the context of community. And he's going, you need each other. It's, it's fascinating to me that Jesus the Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God, sent to earth to bring the kingdom of God, the very first thing that he did in his ministry was what? He started a community. <laughs> Jesus knew that community was not icing on the cake, it was not extra things to fill up your calendar, it wasn't just something you needed to make yourself feel a little more spiritual. Jesus knew we needed community the way our bodies need water. And our bodies need food. And I'm telling you, in the midst of this wild moment we find ourselves in the world, you cannot survive, much less thrive, on your own. You can't do it alone. And he's gonna say, hey, here's the simple remedy. It starts in community. Like, you're gonna need each other. You're gonna need, like, 
to get in a house church. You're gonna need, if you can't do a house church, you're gonna need to find two or three brothers or two or three sisters and just go, hey, you're my people. This is the crew. Let's, let's be really committed together, not just to like show up and talk Titans football and how the work went and how the kids are and whether the girl's gonna go out with us or not. Like, let's get together and just like really like go, hey, how's your heart? How's your marriage? How's your life? What's happening? Like, tell me. Like, and guys, I'm just telling you, this way of life, it is so counterintuitive to what happens in the world. My boys play baseball and I'm just constantly going, okay, how do I pour into my kids' baseball coaches and the different families on the team? And last summer, one of my sons was on a team and hardly any Christian families are a part of that team. And I just decided I was gonna treat all of the men in that circle like I would the guys in my discipleship group. And so one day we're standing at the, at the baseball field and we're just talking, just all the dudes in a, in a big circle, you know, just living on the surface like dudes do. That's what we do, you know, just talking about a whole bunch of nothingness and pretending it was friendship. And so we're, we're is that too harsh? <laughs> Pretty real, it's like, I mean, I, I kid you not, this is a confession. The number of times that I've hung out with a dude for like two hours and I come home and Sydney's like, how's his wife? And I'm like, I didn't even know he was married. Like, <laughs> we never even got there. <laughs> Guys, we can live on the surface. It's crazy, but I'm, I'm standing there in this group of dudes at the baseball field and I'm like, Lord, I, I just want us to have depth here. And I'm like, I'm like, Guys, how's your heart? And the guy's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> how's your marriage? <laughs> How's your walk with the Lord? And the guys are like, how, how do we kick your son off the baseball team? Like, are you gonna ask us these questions every week? Like, what, what is this, you know? We need community. We need each other. But man, it's, it's hard. It's countercultural. It's different. He goes, this is the simple remedy. You get in community and then he begins to show us what we do in community. He just gives us two quick things. Number one, he says, you watch out for each other's back. You watch out for each other's heart. Look back at verse 12, the beginning of verse 12. He goes, hey, see to it or pay attention. This is not a suggestion. This is not a gentle, like, kind of probe from the scriptures. Like, hey, you should try this. He goes, no, this is a command. He goes, you gotta pay attention to each other. You gotta watch out for each other because the world you live in is just gonna beat the, beat the snot out of you. It's gonna beat you up. It's gonna wear you out. And you gotta watch out for each other's hearts. I think about the way that I've seen this in my own life. Uh, you know, last couple of years, we've had the same house church for two and a half years. We're multiplying out this fall, starting new groups. So I'm sad that group won't get to be together. But for the last two and a half years, a small group of people, we've got together every Tuesday night. And one of the guys in that group is a dear friend of mine named Lucas. Lucas is amazing. He and I do life together. We, we walk together. We pray together. We, we ask each other the difficult questions. But I remember this one night after house church, Everybody's leaving and he's kind of lingering, which kind of let me know that he wanted to talk. And so I didn't know what he wanted to talk about. Everybody left and he said, Dave, can we chat for a minute? I said, yeah. He said, hey, tonight you said something and it just made me wonder what's going on in your heart. Are you doing okay? <laughs> and guys, I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing to have a friend like that. It's amazing to have a friend that is so close you can't fake them out. It's amazing to have a friend that is in your house on a regular basis and seeing my marriage on a regular basis and seeing how I'm acting with my kids on a regular basis and for him to go, hey, I heard what you preached on Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just going, how are you doing? And what I was experiencing in that moment was a friend who was close enough to watch out for my heart. And guys, I'm just telling you, in, in our politically correct world where we just kind of say, hey, you do you, you have your truth, I have my truth. First off, just so you know, that's total garbage. 
That's total garbage. It's not gonna help you in life. It's not gonna work. I'm just telling you, go down that path. It's not gonna work. But in that, in that kind of world, it's like, man, we need each other. And we need people that love us enough to go, hey, I see something in you that is concerning and I wanna just ask you about it because I care about it. He says, here's the way that you fight off that sobering reality. You get in community, you look out for each other, you watch each other's backs. And then number three, he says, you encourage each other what? Shout it out. You encourage each other. Come on, you encourage each other what? You encourage each other daily. I'm just telling you, Sunday morning church and getting together once a week in a small group and answering random questions about the Bible and then going about your way, that won't help you in the world we're in. You need more than this. You need the life of God being pumped in you and through you through other believers. And I love the scriptures. The scriptures don't mince words. The scriptures don't say, hey, it'd be good if you got this occasion. The scriptures say, no, you need this every day. I love what the word encourage means in the original language. It literally means to grab someone, draw them close, and to put courage into their hearts. Now, I don't know how to do that in a way that won't get you arrested, but I want you to think about it metaphorically. He's saying, hey, I want you to grab someone, bring them into community. Once again, metaphorically, but you're, you're bringing them near and then you're putting courage into them, courage to believe the word of God, courage to obey the word of God, courage to walk in their identity as followers of Jesus, courage to live beautiful countercultural lives in the midst of this wild world we find ourselves in. You are grabbing people, bringing them in, putting courage in, and he says, you need it what? You need it daily. You need it daily. And if you don't have it, then you succumb to the sobering reality that over time, your life, your heart, your zeal, your commitment, your passion begins to wane. Guys, if you wanna build a spiritual fortress around your roommates, I'm just telling you, become the most encouraging person on planet Earth. I'm not talking about like shallow encouragement, like, hey, I love your shoes, you know, like, eh, great job at school, girlfriend's hot. I wouldn't say that either, but like, <laughs> not that kind of encouragement. What's the kind of encouragement? Like you, you look each other in the eyes and you go, I want to put the courage of God in your heart to live the way that God has made you to live. If you make it just, uh, I call it the 10 to one rule in my house. Sydney and I call it the 10 to one rule for every one word of correction, for every one word of discipline that's come with 10 words of encouragement. And that's not because we're Southerners. That's not because we're trying to soften the blow. It's because encouragement builds a, builds a fortified wall of faith around the hearts of people that you love. And it's actually an act of spiritual defiance against the powers and principalities of this world to be the most encouraging person in the room. And so you encourage each other daily in the faith. You stir each other up. And he goes, and this is the way you fight off what the enemy's trying to do in you. I remember when I was in high school, I had a pretty small youth group that I was a part of. But in that small little youth group, we went to more than 20 different public high schools. And I remember we got this new youth pastor and he was trying to figure out how to keep us strong in the midst of the world that we were walking in. And he was like, man, I don't know how to do this. And so what he did, did was he paired us up in groups of twos. And it was so powerful, it was so simple. This will show you how old I am. This was before cell phones, before text messages. And so what we'd do in our groups of twos, every morning before we'd go to school, we'd call each other on a landline. Do any of you even know what that is? Like you'd pick up this plastic thing, punch numbers, you talk, it'd go through a wire to somebody else's house. I mean, amazing technology. And we'd call each other from a landline and 
we take five minutes every morning and just read the word of God over each other. We pray for each other and ask for strength as we went into the world. And it was crazy what would happen. We'd draw each other close every day. We'd pour the courage of God into each other's hearts and then we'd go out into the mission that he made us for. And guys, I don't care whether it's a house church or a discipleship group or a friend group or the person that's sitting right next to you. I'm just telling you, until we redefine our understanding of what it means to be a part of a church together, it can't just be this is a building we show up to once a week. It's gotta be these are the people that I'm running with daily as we chase Jesus. He says the sobering reality is that unless you grow and guard your heart in a community of faith, over time you grow cold. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. As the wickedness of the world increases, the love of many grows cold. But Hebrews 3 goes, there's a way around that. And the way around that is community, looking out for each other, encouraging each other, saying, hey, God's got more for us. And so here's, here's how I wanna end this morning. Just, I don't have time to teach this, but I just wanna give you four words to kind of maybe assess and anchor the current condition of your spiritual community with, and then we're gonna receive communion and we're gonna worship together. But just four simple words as we think about how to live out Hebrews chapter three. And here are the words, proximity, frequency, intimacy, and intentionality. Proximity, frequency, intimacy, and intentionality. A quick word on each of those. Proximity, so much of what is described in the New Testament is what Aaron taught on last week. So much of what we talked about this morning it's possible for it to happen in a large setting like this, but it really happens across a coffee table, in a living room, in a close relationship. And I'm just telling you, unless you're in close proximity with other men of God, other women of God, it is easy for your love for Jesus to grow cold. And so part of this is about proximity. How do we get close to each other? The second is about frequency. A crazy study was done in the early part of the 2000s, about 20 years ago. They were surveying devoted followers of Jesus all across North America. And here's what they found 20 years ago is that a devoted follower of Jesus was on average in close-knit Christian community eight to 10 times per month. The group that did that study 20 years ago did it again in 2019 and they found that that same group of people was now only in close Christian community three to four times a month. It's crazy. Crazy difference. It wasn't just about proximity. The frequency went down. And someone was asking me about this recently, going, what's the remedy? I'm just going, the remedy is not to get back to 2002. The remedy is to get back to Acts chapter two. Where the people of God, convicted by the beauty of Jesus, filled with the spirit of God, went, man, we long to be together. We're gonna talk together. We're gonna come together as often as possible because we believe this is where life is found. And so Hebrews chapter three, we live this out we live this out in proximity, in frequency, and in, intention, or in intimacy. Intimacy is number three. In other words, we don't come together and live on the surface. Those conversations aren't bad, but we, we come together going, hey, let's go deeper. Like a bunch of you are jumping into house churches this week. You have a choice when you show up. Do you show up on the surface or do you come ready to go deep? It's intentionality, it's intimacy. The last one is intentionality. Every one of us, we want a friend that would get our back and pour the courage of God into our hearts. But I'm just telling you, something would change if every one of us just said, hey, no matter what anybody else around me chooses to do, I'm gonna be the most intentional friend in my friend group. I'm gonna be the one that when everybody else is cynical and jaded, I'm gonna be hopeful and I'm gonna be encouraging. 
I'm gonna be the one that is pumping the life of God by the way that I speak and the way that I live into the lives of people that are around me. And so I just, I just wanna challenge you. <laughs> I just wanna challenge you to go, man, how do you live with this intentional focus of I just wanna put the courage of God in the life of people around me? The world that we, we're kind of waking up in on the other side of COVID, it's, it's crazy, it's, it's wild. Things don't seem to work the way they used to. And for survival, I believe, and the faith is not about food, shelter, and water. I believe it's about God's presence, his people, and his purposes. And I think it's a really good moment for us to just stop and go, okay, Lord, do I actually have people that I'm doing life with? Here's my question for you. Like, who are your people? Like, who are your people? And how do you allow the Lord to take that deeper? So let's, let's stand up together. I wanna pray over us. We're gonna receive communion this morning. And communion's the first place where we're gonna step into this. And we're gonna practice proximity. We're gonna co come close to Jesus together. We're gonna practice frequency. We do this every week. We're gonna practice intimacy as we confess our sins in our hearts. We're gonna be intentional about pouring, pouring encouragement into each other. There's gonna be some men and women that respond, man, and we'd love to pray over you. But I wanna encourage you, as you receive the bread and the cup, come back, circle your chairs up, take as long as you need to pray, to talk, to share, and let's see what God might do. Father, thank you. Thank you for the genius of your word. Thank you for the wisdom of your ways. God, would you help us to move beyond simply hearing your word to actually being doers of the word, to, to living it out. God, there's some in the room this morning who they have tried community so many times, they've been so hurt by it, so wounded by it. They're so gun shy of getting in community that being alone actually feels like a better alternative to taking a risk again. God, my heart just aches for my brothers and sisters that are in that place. Would you send to them just one spirit-filled, God-honoring friend that will show them uh, life in community once again? God, send them a friend. God, for those that have work schedules and things that don't allow them to get in a house church, allow them to find two or three friends. Starting today, God, like intentional conversations that will give us space to watch each other's backs and to encourage each other in the ways of Jesus. God, we need each other. Help us to live communal lives in our overly busy, programmatic world. Help us to choose community. God, for those that are stepping into house churches, so easy to take that first step and then just to live on the surface and to feel so disillusioned by the failure of that community to live into the biblical reality that we see. God, would you just give this supernatural breakthrough for every person stepping into a house church this week? Let them go deeper. Let them find deep life, friendship, community. Um, God, fortify, strengthen their hearts. Give them uh, pathways of encouragement and strength. And Lord, would you do all of this to, to fight off that reality that takes hold of so many. Lord, may it not be true of us that as we get older, we grow colder. But God, as we get older, may we burn brighter. May we be hungrier for you. It's the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks, amen. Man, sure to love you. So glad we get to do this together. Let's receive communion. It's on the tables all around the room. Circle your chairs up. Come receive prayer if you'd like that. Peace.